Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, anyone who's got something to do with consumers and marketing talks about tapping culture and sport typically is the default and often easy option. But it might just be that brands are so obsessed with sport as the gateway to tapping big cultural moments that they're missing a trick or three aligning with alternatives that can deliver sometimes 30 to 70% lifts in brand objectives over standard ad campaigns. According to consumer researcher Matt Sandwell at the L Insights, sport is the undisputed king in creating and galvanising Australian cultural moments, but it's very crowded with brands trying to make inroads. He says esports and live theatre are other often overlooked cultural plays for brands, and there's also a dark horse, or even a dark night, if that's a clue, to what can rival sport in creating mass consumer conversations, connections and lasting memory structures for brands and advertisers. Yes, we are talking about the box office if you haven't figured it out yet. Typically, the top 10 box office hits in any given year are one of the few scaled alternatives that does the same job for brands as sport in using cultural relevance to leverage consumer experiences and attention. IAG's acting CMO, Zara Curtis, has mostly swapped out sport with big box office hits for the NRMA for this exact reason. And we're going to find out why and what's happened with that strategy. Zara is joined on the mics today by Matt Sandwell and the boss at Val Morgan, Guy Burbage, to unpack how big feature films connect brands with the cultural zeitgeist and why much of the market is scrambling too narrowly to slipstream mass culture moments via sport. It makes intuitive sense, really, that Top Gun, Avatar, Super Mario, and even Guardians of the Galaxy are going to trigger consumer conversations and connections. So why are brands and agencies undercooking sport alternatives like the box office? Well, we're about to find out. So welcome, Zara, Matt, and Guy. Guy, I might start with you first um, with a quick wrap, really, on this market blind spot that you think needs a bit of a fix. Brands are obsessed about sport, as we said at the top, but Hollywood in the box office is right up there with similar impact. Um, so, Guy, I guess, what do you see happening in the market behaviour at the moment, or has been historically at least, that's still a little wayward? And, and welcome, Guy. Thanks, Mac. Um, look, I think it's what you said at the beginning uh, of the intro, is really we see that default position is in considering live sport and top TV programs as the only way to tap into the cultural media moments in Australia. And I think with, you know, we've long held the belief in cinema that we've got a much bigger role to play and have consistently seen a not only huge reach in properties, but in incredible results, um, particularly last year with Top Gun and Avatar and Spider-Man. And those incredible results are really just down to those really big cultural moments that people want to watch. Uh, and when you're delivering upwards of four and a half million people to some of those properties, that's a really big proportion of the population. Um, and we think historically has been relatively undervalued um, in media. And just quickly, Guy, I mean, you know, cinema might have had a little uh, sort of dark patch there for a while through COVID, just a little one, but it does seem to be coming back. You've had some some of the biggest hits you've had, I think, in the in the Australian box office full stop, right, in the last year or year and a half, or am I making yeah. some stuff up here? No, you're absolutely bang on uh, and well-educated as ever. So um, last year we had three of the top six films of all time. So this is not just post-pandemic, 
but three of the top six of all time. And generally, we you know we're lucky if we see one burst into burst into that top five. So, you know, we know that Australians and their love for cinema is has almost un, is almost been unwavering, um, and that is pre, during, and post COVID. Uh, and so, when you see those results, it gives you a lot of confidence in the stability, but the quality of content that's coming down the pipeline. Let me test your knowledge, uh, Guy, in terms of the uh, top three of all time. Can you remember what they are? Avatar number one. Uh, as of last week, Avatar number two was $60,000 off the box office of reaching number two. Uh, and then the other one is Star Wars Force Awakens. Zara, I want to um, get to you on this because you're you're pretty aligned on this sort of notion uh, for cultural relevance and what's going on with film versus sport. Why is that from your perspective and why for insurance? Because that is kind of, let's find the connection there. So just explain the cultural, you're a big believer in, in, in cultural uh, moments and aligning to them. Um, why so for insurance and, and why so generally? I think I said oh, that twice. Yeah, that's all right, Paul. Oh, absolutely. Like being part of culture as a marketer in, you know, the fragmented media space is absolutely critical. I mean, in the insurance category, and especially at NRMA Insurance, you know, we really believe that culture is how we're going to get a winning advantage in being in and around that. Our category has such a low involvement and a low interest. I don't know about you, Paul, but I'm sure you don't go to barbecues talking about your insurance policy. So we're really... I don't believe I've recalled doing that, actually, no. No, well, you're not alone. So, look, we really uh, sat back, I think, during COVID. The things that you missed were really simple as people, and that's those cultural connections moments, cinema being one of those. So we had a really good look and reflected on social listening, all our strategies, our positions. And across our social, we built this... um, incredible tool, shareably across the US, and we track every single cultural moment in live time um, on a big dashboard. So we sat back and looked at that. And while we have 0.8% share of culture as an insurance company and a category across social, we looked at, well, what are the two things that are winning and how do we become part of that sport you've already mentioned? And then the second one was media and entertainment with a 27% share of social. We went, right, how do we become part of that? And for us, it's not having to always be in the cultural piece around media, entertainment and film, but definitely around it and part of the talkability. What did you do with your emphasis around sport versus media entertainment and cinema? Because you did you did have a bit of a switch in strategy. So what did that look like? You pulled back or did you change in sport? What did you do? Uh, absolutely. We pivoted that strategy, Paul. You know, marketers have limited budgets um, and our job is to spend them wisely and effectively and really grow our bottom line and our business for our companies. So we switched our strategy in sport. Um, we were very much sponsoring the clubs. So we went club from club sponsorships to code. We pulled out of the Broncos, we unwound Collingwood, and we put one big bet on, and that was around cricket. Um, the biggest bet we've ever made around Cricket Australia, and we signed that up for three years, which then freed us up to have a look at the second biggest category in media and entertainment and how we want to play there. Matt, I just I think it's probably worth talking to you about explaining the the psychology and sociology, I guess, behind why cultural moments matter and why they work for brands, Matt. Um, how do we find what a cultural moment is? Um, so uh, over to the consumer researchers. Done, you've done quite a bit of work on this. Um, unpack it and, and tell us people who don't know enough what we should be thinking. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the the tougher one first, defining culture. Um, mm. Probably no one definition. It's a bit of a big amorphous thing. But I think in, in essence, when we're talking cultural moments, 
they're moments that are shared and that shape at, at their essence. So they're, they're moments that can be shared with others, whether in, in the moment, whether before, during or after, but there's something that you can share with somebody else. And they shape you. They either reinforce or challenge your view of yourself and the world around you. So if you stick with those two dimensions of shared and shaping, it's pretty fundamental to our evolution as a species and how we've survived as a species. I'm sure if the story of the saber-toothed tiger around the corner wasn't shared and didn't have an impact on the next person that came out of the cave, then we wouldn't be here having the podcast. We're right. social animals. None of us left. <laughs> That's right. We're social animals. We want to connect with each other. Uh, we want to connect around things that are important. It, it's deeply embedded in who we are and our psyche. Uh, and I think there's also an element of those moments are more difficult to find than ever. So technology uh, and perhaps supercharged by recent years, um, has allowed us to increasingly be an audience of one. And that's brought some great benefits, but also reduced our opportunity for those water cooler moments, those moments that are shared with others. Uh, but we're still seeking them. It's deeply embedded in who we are. As well, I was going to say, and that's the other thing I think you've, you, you make the observation, Matt, here that digital technology is supposed to have connected, but we're probably less connected than we were before. We get down to one, an individual one, but that sharing thing, ironically, even with social media, is not quite there. Is, am I asking broadly the yeah. right question there? Yeah, look, absolutely. In, in the study that we undertook on the topic, the one that you referenced, it's clear that those activities that allowed for shared experience and also provided the time, space and content to share them and to be impacted by them, namely sport, number one, and cinema coming in at number two were the activities that were most positively received, the ones that were most sought after and the ones most valued by consumers. There were some others there too, right? Live theatre and eSport came in. They are distant third and fourth. Is that how it works or...? Good question. It depends on on how you, you slice and dice. So we looked at it in terms of, of both uh, frequency and intensity. So for smaller cohorts, live theatre has a, has a similar impact. And, and same for esports and arguably esports is, you know, um, increasing and on the up. But when you're looking at both the intensity of impact but also how many people are, are, are kind of touched by that media. Right. Yeah, and scale, got it. Um, so let's get to why then the cultural moments are important and work for brands. Is there some sort of halo effect that happens that spills over or why should brands actually, you know, try and tap this cultural relevance and and particularly so in this fascinating example with insurance, right, because it's not sexy. Sorry, Zara, but it's No not. offence taken. Yes, I know. I think you think that too. Um, <laughs> but it's important, by the way. And so, yes, why does it work for brands, these, these cultural moments? Well, I think there's two things. Firstly, it's putting your brand in a context in which people are receptive and, and open to those cultural moments. They're going to the footy, they're not there to watch the advertisements, but they're in the mindset, they've got the motivation of being open, being engaged, taking things on board, being in the moment. Um, that's clearly going to flow in onto all media, all stimulus that they take on board in that occasion. And then I think there's the linkage to the brands. So um, when a, a brand uh, decides to partner with and connect with certain brands, certain sporting bodies, certain media assets, certain films, um, there is that halo effect effect of uh, what that means for them and what that represents in terms of how they view themselves as a brand and equally uh, what you take from them as a brand when they partner up with whatever that asset is. And it's lasting. There's a little bit of uh, a long tail in that as well. Is that right? 
Correct, both in terms of uh, memorability. So these occasions and events are more deeply embed in, into um, people's memory uh, and can be more easily recorded than the last TikTok that they, they scrolled across. But also in, in terms of resonance, going back to that first point, the affinity, that connection back with something that, that is of interest to them or something that they love. If they're a cricket lover, then that connection with something that they love is going to give that um, longer term and longer duration. Zara, I'm, I'm assuming you don't disagree with most of what Matt's saying. It's probably the rationale for what you did. But I'm just interested in that switch out, if you like, or the refocus between sport and cinema and movies. Was it because sport was too busy, there was too much action in there that you thought that there was an opportunity? I know your data showed that there was it was the second, you know, media entertainment was the second highest category. But was it just you thought that was an untapped opportunity that most hadn't gone there as it was why you did it? Uh, I think our spotting properties that we had were too micro-focused, not macro and national, and we were going to take the brand uh, nationally, so we really wanted that national property. Yes, we should say this is for the NRMA, right? Yeah, Yeah, this is for NRMA Insurance brand, not the other beautiful IAG brands that I work across as well. Um, so there was that, and then there was also really, um, while Australian is a sporting culture, the relevance of entertainment and joy and um, media in that and film, I think is really having a wonderful resurgence. If you look at Netflix and content production and storytelling, and it's just another part of the human psyche. So sports one, that's number two. It was really about playing in the top three or four spaces um, for us and making sure we're part of that. And something I look at a lot and talk about with my teams is culture or being part of the cultural conversation as we talked about. The second for me is context. What's the context that people are consuming this in? And there, there are not many opportunities, Paul, as you know, for us to really lean back and have an hour and a half of someone's undivided attention in silence in a group situation with their mobile phones off. So that was super, super appealing to us. Remember that low engagement category, high engaging context. So when you look at that axis, it's kind of really interesting. And then the third thing for me and for our brand and our brand positioning is really about the creativity and emotional storytelling to bring to insurance messages. So when you get those beautiful things come together, the culture, the context and the creativity, and we're going to always tell those big emotional stories. There's not a lot of places to do that um, in a 60 or a two-minute or whatever we want to do. And I was really conscious of the creative we wanted to make and what we had coming down the line and looking for the right place to share that and launch it. Okay, so what did you do then? So did you choose literally, and, and, and I think you've played with it for a couple of years, but did you choose the top 10? You just went with what was going to be the top 10 titles for the year and go, we're going to own that. What happened? Yeah. Oh, we had a chat around, you know, it's the art and science, but it's what we're all feeling, thinking. The data um, from our social and everything um, was supporting that. We knew cinema was going to come back out of COVID and we went with the feel that, you know, this is what people are going to do. They're going to want to go back to shared experiences and things that they haven't been able to do. Aussies don't like being told what they can't do. So we then, you know, spoke to these guys at Val Morgan and just went, we don't do things by halves at NRMA Insurance and as a marketing team, we go in. So we went, hey, this feels like a wonderful opportunity and a really rich 
playground and strategy for us to do. But rather than do the traditional thing of follow film strategy, we went, why don't we just own the top 10 films? They're going to really spike in culture and cinema across the year. Let's do that. So when did you do this, Zara? Was it last year? Yeah, absolutely. So last year when we said, right, let's go all in, let's go big and own the top uh, 10 films in cinema across the year nationally, we, we did it. We jumped in last year and we, you know, looked at what they were going to be, worked with Guy and Val Morgan and, it, you know, turned out being things like Avatar 2, Batman, Top Gun, Fast and Furious X, Mission Impossible and I, I think Guy, we, we, we got a few seven. of those right. Yeah, number seven. Number seven. Oh, he's, he's on the rankings now. So he's doing well. Um, and did and so what did you do? So you you're the creative that went with it. You went with some long longer format ad campaigns, and then did you do anything beyond that? And what did you see happen as a result, uh, Zara, in terms of how you tracked it and quantified it? Yeah, absolutely. So what we did was, well, we knew that we were launching our new brand position um, until then, we're here to help. And we knew that that would have quite a beautiful narrative that would play out really well in cinema. I think it also helped us confirming the strategy, really push and excite the creative as well. Um, When you're telling long form storytelling to know that you're going to release this in cinema and have that opportunity on a big screen really brings the theatre to the thinking. So it helps sort of excite and shape that as well. So what we did was with Until Then, we have done this, dipped in and out of this in the past and seen it work. We let the 60 go into cinema and lead the strategy uh, for the first four to six weeks before we turned on other channels to try and start that conversation and awareness. And then we just blasted everything else post that. So we let them have some breathing space and time in one medium. We know as marketers, um, three or more channels is more effective. Um, so obviously we dropped that, but we just, just let it have some space around a very big property that was on air at that time. Paul, you asked me about results as well, um, and we saw some fantastic results when we did this in cinema only, which we're really excited about and, you know, talks to us keeping on going. I said, Like I said before, we proved this with a Christmas ad before and a New Wheels. We just didn't make it part of our ongoing strategy. And there's one piece of creative that we did in cinema only that we saw the results of our tracking um, delivered a 50% more efficient in driving a brand uplift across recognition and brand cut through. Um, recognition tracking at 55%, branding at 84% and cut through at 46%. We did a four-week dip um, just on that one channel. So Mm. it gave us the confidence to keep going, but we also just believe that's absolutely right from a human behaviour and, like we said, cultural point of view. Guy, is what what Zara's done and what what IAG and RMA have done, is is this unusual versus what you see in the market? And the question isn't whether Zara's unusual, it's whether the strategy is uh, not typical for what you see in market. Is this a rare sort of occasion, an outlier, in terms of the strategy of doing it and then the results? And I know you've got some results too, we'll get to that, but what you see with what IAG and RMA have done, this is, I guess, for you, a bench, like you, you like these sorts of um, smart marketers, I'm assuming. We love these sorts of smart marketers. And I think, you know, all of what Zara's just said around just being part of that culture, but also importantly, the results and the brand outcomes that we drive by being part of those big cultural moments is really important. And we, we see it time and time again. So we know that our top 10, top 15 titles consistently perform and over deliver in comparison to cinema norms versus spots and dots. So if you buy follow film sponsorships with us, 
you will deliver a better brand outcome than you will by just buying spots and dots. Um, and so we, we've seen that. We've measured, we've got 28 case studies over three years, and that consistency in driving appeal, consideration, choice, um, and trust and awareness is, it has been a consistent feature, certainly post-COVID, but um, pre-COVID as well. So you've done some tracking on this. What, what are some of the numbers? Are they matching Zara's? So in our numbers, we see positive brand appeal uh, uplift at plus 60%, and then brand consideration moving somewhere between 80 and 100% um, as just two, two immediate measures that come to mind. So, you know, slightly different results, but I think the interesting thing is that efficiency in driving, in driving those results for a brand is the most pleasing piece for us. Uh, something's difficult for us to measure because we don't obviously base ourselves against other channels, but um, when it isn't surprising. And to go back to the to the first part of the question, do we see this level of commitment from all of our clients into follow films? Absolutely not. Generally, there is, you know, you come in at a shorter, you might be considering us over a quarter or a month or a title or a launch. Um, but we are in no way surprised that these are the results that can be delivered by this sort of commitment to a full on strategy. So what is blocking that understanding or, or awareness around alternative cultural moments in the market? What happens? We're just all in a, a confirmation bias bubble. So we believe that um, the market is on the default, is almost too narrow in its choices. So the first default option is, is obviously live sport. And then the second one is largely top three to five TV programs. So, and we think that there is much more to that cultural landscape. And we believe that's certainly us, um, live theatre, music, esports, etc. So, yeah, so we, we believe that that cultural landscape is much wider than the default setting in the market. Right. Now, you did mention earlier, and I don't know what it, quite it is, um, this follow film program that, you, that I think both Sarah and you talk about. What is that? What does it do? And then I'm really interested in working out how this sort of folds in and develops into the whole consumer attention measurement stuff that you're also doing. Is there a link there at all? Or am I, you know, is it an artificial uh, bridge? There's a little link there for sure. So it, the Follow Film program is about really owning these cultural moments and blocking out your competitor in either your category or subcategory. Ah, so Zara did that. Did, did you do that, Zara? You had a category exclusivity then? Yep. Right. Or the top okay. 10. Right. So you own that moment uh, and you own that for the fullness of the audience uh, that we deliver. But then the connection really around attention and measurement is is not so much specifically of just around the titles deliver more attention. It's more about the strength of the channel uh, and then the, the marketing uh, opportunities off the back of it. So that's blocking out your competitors, owning it, launching 60s and, and repeating that strategy that Zara did um, so successfully um, just before Avatar or using Got Avatar. It. Um, so Zara, I think you hinted you were, but will you keep this strategy up? What's coming for the next 12 months? What film titles have you bought? And I think... Is it true that, you know, Guy, you can predict what's going to be the top 10 titles in, in the next 12 months and that sort of helps shape which titles Zara and others should align to? Is that right? Yeah, we've got 10 plus years of data that we look at to determine which ones we believe are going to be um, the right titles. We know our top 10 this year, you know, we've just had Super Mario and Guardians of the Galaxy. They'll definitely feature within those, within those top 10. But you're going to have um, things like Mission Impossible 7 because Tom Cruise is so hot right now. So mm. there's lots of those, you know, we can predict those things. And every now and again, we get, we get a bolter like Top Gun, which we thought would be in the top 10, but we didn't realise would be in the top two um, of last year. So, you know, but we are, 
and it's not particularly sexy, but it's pretty, um, it's a handy thing to have in this market in this day and age, I think, is that level of consistency and predictability in terms of audience delivery. Uh, you can almost bank on us delivering those audiences every single time. So I was going to ask you, Zara, that you're in your mid-30s, so you remember Top Gun and Tom Cruise when he first came out. Did you think Tom would be back and be so hot? Oh, everything old is new again, Paul. It's hope for us then. <laughs> exactly. We are keen reinventors as marketing uh, and media people anyway. So, look, no, I, um, I'm happy to trust Guy and his science around what the top 10 uh, film's going to be. I might have an opinion and maybe make it the top 11 this year uh, just Ooh. for a bit of spice. But we are absolutely committed to this strategy. I think we've signed it and Guy's on his way to telling us what those wonderful next 10 films will be. Right. So you're in again. You're going to do it again. We're in again. Why okay. Why fix something that just ain't broken? I think the other thing, Paul, for me, I was just picking up on your comment around marketers and um, your chat with Guy around why people keep doing the same things. I just... I think it's an absolute crime if marketers don't throw themselves into culture and think from a customer perspective and keep doing the same thing. So I'm always challenging my team and all of our agency partners. When people zig, we zag, like look for the new opportunity, look for a different way to do things and really play into that. Your job is to be part of culture and part of customer. So really pull them on a journey and do the different things that will actually drive the business change and contribute to that bottom line. That's that's the job. It would be remiss of me, Zara, to not ask about what's happening at IG. You've got a new uh, chief marketing and customer officer starting soon. And there's a bit of a change in the marketing team and structure with customer coming in. The marketing team sort of almost seems like it's doubled or, or something of that of that quantum. It's getting pretty interesting. So can you give us an update? What's going on at IAG in terms of this new structure and the new look rolling customer and marketing? Makes sense to do it, but what's going on? Oh, get me here to talk about cinema and then throw me the question about what's going on. Look, really happy to talk about it. Uh, we've got Michelle Klein joining as um, customer experience and marketing, of which I'm absolutely privileged to be a big part of that new team and change. We go from, I don't know, like you said, more than double as of Monday, and we really need to get our heads around how to be an absolutely customer-centric insurance business. That's our future and that's where we're going. And I think myself and the team are, are really excited about that and there's a lot more to come from us in this space. Yeah, and look, I mean, we, we won't labour on this, but it does seem interesting when you start to get marketing and the customer team together and then you start to connect up even what you're doing now with cultural relevance in the market and mainstream. Suddenly you can stitch through everything from just what, not just your media activity with what's going on in customers and uh, it seems pretty interesting possibilities. Absolutely. It's been a missing piece for us, Paul. I think, you know, we've suddenly got behavioural science people, content writers across all digital touch points in our business. We've got customer relations coming in. We've got customer inclusion and governance. So it's a really big step change and it's the right step change. We're really excited. Matt, why don't we um, just wind this one up with some of your key takeouts and to watch developments, I guess, in the next 12 months around consumer mindsets and culture and, and what that um, what marketers and brands need to be sort of, I guess, more mindful of. What would you say are the sort of the top two, three, four points on that, Matt? Uh, yeah, look, I think in some ways it's, it's same, same, but different. We've gone through a, a pretty uncertain, pretty high anxiety time in the last couple of years. Everyone knows that. I think we're transitioning from that to something similar again with un, uncertain kind of economic times and looming recession, if you believe you know some pundits out there. I think in that environment, 
uh, more than ever, we're seeking that kind of warm embrace of cultural moments. We're seeking those moments of release. We're seeking that moments of connection. We're seeking that moments, uh, those moments of distraction, even maybe <laughs> distraction. Absolutely. But overall moments that move us. And it's those cultural moments for the reasons that we've discussed that give us the the time, context and bandwidth to do that. So I think cinema's in a great place to deliver to that need and I think brands that advertise within cinema will be well-placed to benefit from that as well. Guy, do you sense that there is more openness around this yet or will it be after they hear from Zara? Definitely clients are asking more questions of this and I think, you know, there's been a lot of change in the market, a lot of fragmentation, a lot of movement of audiences, viewing behaviours and patterns but we're really confident in our position. It's been reinforced time and time again over the years of Australians' love for cinema and, and that importance as part of the cultural landscape. So, you know, we only see that uh, we only see that improving. And I was lucky enough to be in CinemaCon a couple of weeks ago now, and and that message is just more great content built for the big screen coming down the pipeline. So, as a business, you know, we're really confident about that um, as a result of the, the changes that have gone on in the last eighteen months. And it's probably worthwhile, a a very quick teaser on this guy. Uh, Interesting in the conversations we had before this recording was that the windowing strategy from the studios is changing where they thought they could go it alone. Well, they were trying to go it alone without cinema and go DTC directly to consumer or streaming. They're moving back into cinema because they've worked out maybe they can't do without you or at least the chains of theatres. That's right. I think they're... There is an intrinsic benefit of having cinema as part of that uh, content distribution model. So, you know, we have seen, we are now seeing that swing back from being into streaming into theatres with an exclusive theatrical window and a commitment behind that. But we're also seeing content that was slated for streaming coming back into theatres first. So a good example of that recently is Air. You know, had Matt Damon and Ben Affleck was just an absolute cracker of a movie uh, and just brilliantly produced. And that was... A, it's come from Amazon Prime Studios, and B, that was slated just for streaming. But until the execs saw it and they wanted to do a wide theatrical release, that's what happened, and that's kind of where that awareness of that title is built and it will only benefit streaming audiences in as the weeks and months develop. Hey, Guy, is it true that they do that so they can have a chance at winning an Academy Award as well? I think there's a little bit of that. Um, as long as that doesn't make it onto the podcast, yes. There's a bit, there's a bit of that. The, the official business answer is Gravitas. So you can, they can then tell their customers that it was in, in cinemas four, four weeks ago and now it's mm. on streaming. Gotcha. Well, it does point to consumer behaviour that that's the reality, right? People still want to go to these shared moments and community environments or communal environments and that's kind of part of it, I guess, too, guys, is the economics, but it's also reflecting what people want to still do. They still want to go out and do that stuff. It goes back to Matt's original point around, you know, we're social beasts at the end of the day. You know, we still, if there's one thing we've learned from the last two years is we don't want to stay at home uh, more often. You know, Mm. you have kitchens, but we still go to restaurants. Great conversation. So I think we should get to the movie Zara Curtis, Guy Burbage, Matt Samwell, and have another conversation about how it's all landing in the real world. Thanks for joining and let's get to the top 10. See ya. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.